Hello and welcome to another episode of Video Game Logic. Today's episode was recorded on October the 30th, 2019. I'm your host, gaming psychologist, and with me, as always, the hangry and the humble. The caffeine rage. On today's show, we will be discussing the October Game Club, which is Prey from 2017, not the original. We'll be going over what our next Game Club game is going to be. We're going to be discussing some more Fallout 76 shenanigans. We will have a quick trip over to Community Corner, and then we will have a Steam Discovery queue. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Hello, Rage. Hello. So we are recording this a day late and a dollar short because I had an incident at work, uh, which is fully detailed in either post uh, end or post credits or as a Franken episode. Uh, so you'll hear get to hear all about that at some point. But yeah, just the short version, I had a very scary incident at my office, and I was like freaked out yesterday and just like needed to reset. Um, and so we put it off until tonight. Yeah, you went uh, ate some shitty food. I did. I had some Taco Bell. Terrible for my body, both from, well, from every angle. Not only just because it's terrible for you, but because I'm a diabetes. But it, it provides excellent comfort. Reminds me of comforting times. And, um, you know. And poverty. Just, <laughs> and poverty. I mean, I'm only slightly above poverty now. Like two two bad days and it's all over, son. Which is, in some ways. Uh, thank you, Joker. Which in some ways is manip or is manipulative. He's just a joker. Which is in some ways uh, motivating and in some ways fucking terrifying. But I don't want to get into my existential dread tonight. Or you have no idea the reference I'm giving. Nope, not a clue. Uh, killing joke. I've never seen the Killing Joke. I'm familiar. Or read the Killing Joke. Uh, basically, sure. the Joker says that the difference between him and uh the average Joe or you know, the average person is just simply one bad day. And he tries to prove it. Gotcha. It's actually one of the better Joker stories. I mean, you I've know, heard that the killing joke is one of the best. I'm just, I'm not a big Batman guy. Uh, well, this was more focused on the Joker and commissioner Gordon. Yeah. But I mean, I'm not as much into that universe. At all. I would say it would be very interesting to you on a psychological level. You would get your shrink on for this one because of the whole idea of how easy it is for a, a sane person to get pushed over the edge. Or not, and pick it apart. That's interesting. That's a fun, uh, an interesting thing, because I deal with that on a regular basis. So my perspective would be very different I think from just sort of a air quotes, normal person. Mm -hmm. Cause I have people ask me questions about stuff all the time. And they're like, what do you think about that? And I'm like, or, or, you know, they'll say, like, why does that freak you out or something? And I'll just be like, I mean, I deal with it all the time. I see that, you know, depending on what the thing is, you know, every day or every week. So it's like, it's not shocking to me. So, you know, yeah, uh, 
Yeah, it looks like they actually did release the animated movie of it uh, a couple of years ago. I just, I've only read the comic. I've never actually watched the animated version of it. Yeah, I've got a couple, you know, I listen to a couple of film podcasts. I follow a few film YouTubers and I remember them talking about it. But I mean, I just am not, you know, super familiar with it. I know you're, I know, I know you're Marvel, not DC. Yeah, I'm a Marvel, Marvel, Marvel. Boy. I, 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 st- I still think DC has the better villains. Marvel has the better heroes. I, oh, I yeah. agree with you on that. Generally, that's true across the board, but I'm a hero guy, not a villain guy. So, yeah, which honestly, a lot of Batman's interesting things is his uh, rogues gallery. It's not Batman himself because honestly, Batman can be a little boring. Calendar Man and Condiment King. Those are my two <laughs> favorites. That's the deepest pulls I can get from the Batman universe. Catman. Is there a Catman? Yes. Okay, cool. I, I guess, actually, I don't know if it's cool or not. <laughs> I think he's in the Batman universe. Uh, yeah, he... Uh, let's see. Uh, here, I think you'll enjoy this. He's like the yellow version of Batman. He's uh, was originally from the 60s, so yeah, this should tell you something, right? Yeah. Here, I'll drop in Discord for you. There you go. Catman. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like the three and, uh, the three little red marks that look kind of like claw marks on his chest. Huh? Cat scratch fever. Anyways. Um I don't know how to segue that to, to Game Club. Uh is there a segue from Catman to uh, to Prey? Uh, well, uh, well, well, a cat is a yeah, a predator. So, yeah, non sequitur. We don't have to have a segue. We can just do a non sequitur. I mean, uh, never stopped you before, or to ruin a perfectly good segue. No, it has not. So, uh, due to the condensed or late recording, we we oftentimes will condense a little bit of it. So, we're gonna throw out games we played uh, this week and just go straight to the game club. Um. For anyone who this is their first Game Club episode, their new listeners to the show. Yes, welcome, and we're sorry. But in <laughs> case you're unaware, for Game Club, Rage and I will play the same game at the same time so that we can talk about it together and see how our different perspectives, uh, interests, and the way that we actually approach games can create extremely differing experiences. Uh, for the month of October, we always do something that's spooky. So this year we played Prey, the 2017 uh, re, well, I must have re-released. That's wrong. Re-imagining reboot of the Prey franchise, yeah. the original, which came out in I believe 2006, has nothing to do in common with this. Or as uh, a name, as a name, yeah, uh, but it has nothing to do in common with it. Otherwise, I mean, there might be some references or Easter eggs in there that I just missed. Um, but yeah, same. In general, they have nothing to do with each other. Yeah, I think I'm going to say I'm, I'm going to say this and then edit it so that it comes in front of the discussion. Both of us wholeheartedly recommend this game like a hundred percent. But if you don't want it completely ruined, which might ruin your experience because there's so much that we're going to spoil and reveal, maybe just skip this game club and come back to it after you've played the game. 
Yeah, I would say that's fair. I mean, we didn't do our usual spoiler warning, but you know, that's beside the point, right? So you and I had two extremely different play experiences. Partly yeah, the, because... Yeah, yeah, this game is very Bioshock-like uh, in atmosphere, and also the fact that it gives me a rather extreme motion sickness after a while. Yeah. And uh, in my initial playtest of this, uh, I did not get that. But then again, I never got to the more open world-esque area of it. So I'm not sure if I was my frame rate was just not stable enough and it was triggering it. And that may be my trigger. It's just unstable frame rate. Or if it's just something with the camera that changes whenever you get to the main area or what. But yeah, I was starting to feel rather sick after... I would say half an hour gameplay. And while you're playing in half hour chunks, it wasn't due to motion sickness. <laughs> no, I was fucking terrified. I don't like scary things. Um, I don't like scary games. I do this every year for you guys. Although Alan Wake wasn't really too bad. Alan um, Wake was psychological horror. This was uh, more akin to traditional. Well, not even traditional horror because this wasn't, you know, all jump scares, even though there were a few, uh, even yeah. in the time I played, I only uh, sunk probably about five or so hours into it. Uh, enough to, you know, really get a feel for the game, but not enough to really make a lot of progression on the story. Yeah, the jump scares are not too particularly bad. I mean, there are definitely areas where it's worse than others, but the game doesn't rely on jump scares for most of its horror. Uh- it's always there. The threat of them is always there. So in, in Prey, maybe we should back up a minute. So the in Prey, in, you are a scientist who is on a space station researching, or the space station is researching these alien things and ways to turn them into technology. And one of the aliens is called a mimic, uh, and they can mimic objects in, How about in a that? room. So basically, everywhere you go, there is the potential for there to be a jump scare because these mimics have copied, you know, a chair or a box or a cup on a desk. I don't really know if there's any rules to what they can or can't copy. I've seen them be all kinds of things. Yeah, it seemed like there was no hard and fast rules. And uh, sometimes they were just there in the room beforehand. But a lot of times I found that it would run into the room and copy something. So... If you had a very sharp eye, you may notice, huh, there's like two coffee cups there. That's kind of weird. Oh, shit. Yeah. So there's always this constant fear that you will get a jump scare. But outside of that, the game doesn't rely very much on jump scares. It's mostly atmospheric. A lot of these, the aliens that you run into are extremely creepy and make horrible, grotesque noises um, or will talk like... um, some of the larger aliens are converted people, and so they will talk ab- about their daily lives, and you can't really make out what they're saying. I'll play with subtitles on, so I would hear like, and the subtitle would be like, where did Jenkins put the coffee? I need my coffee. But it was like these just really horrible, creepy sounds. Um, so you know that they're there, but it doesn't make it any less terrifying. And anytime you enter an area that's dark, you know, it's spooky. You're like, oh my gosh, are there going to be aliens here? Are they going to jump out and scare me? So I was playing it in half hour to one hour chunks because I would get too scared and I would have to stop. But I did not experience any of the motion sickness issues that you did. Um, yeah, I, maybe it's just there's something about this type of game, the 
maybe the way they have the lighting or something because like i said it's, this game uh, atmospherically reminds me a lot of bioshock and maybe there's just something in that or i should say the original bioshocks because bioshock infinite i never had that problem with yeah i mean it can be it can affect different people in different ways but you know it does have some of that sort of head bob as you move when you're in mm-hmm. a confined space that feels stranger and that could be contributing to it and you were having frame rate issues we have a fairly similar setup but i have a yeah, different just, yeah, my, processor yeah my processor's a lot weaker actually yeah and so that could have been where you were running into the frame rate issue cuz i i didn't have any you know any dips below 60 um, outside of a couple, there were a couple of areas where things got weird, like the space station would explode and a whole bunch of shit would go everywhere. And then that would kind of cause a little bit of a frame dip, but nothing too major. And it would come right back. I could not play this game if I was having frame rate issues, because then I would be terrified of being jump scared and also it happening in the middle of like a frame drop. So then it would be like a double jump scare somehow. Yeah. Yeah. There was a couple times where, I would see the mimics. Uh, I would spot them. I would have a little bit of a fr- of a frame stutter, just enough for them to disappear, and I not to get to see where they go. So it's like, oh fuck. <laughs> yeah. Um, the gameplay itself can go a bunch of different ways. It starts off very linear as it's teach, and we'll talk about the story stuff in a little bit. I want to focus mostly on the the gameplay aspect for the moment. It starts off very linear. Um, corridor-esque and then it opens up a little bit and then it opens up a little bit and then the game encourages you like hey you can get to this area maybe you could find the key or you could look for an alternate path and it does that a couple of times and then it opens up and it's not an open world sense of or not an open world in the sense of like it's a huge map you can explore but the space station pretty quickly becomes wide open to you exploring it and there's multiple wings that each have different paths through them and multiple objectives inside of them. So the main sort of floor is like this lobby area that's like three stories tall. And there's all kinds of rooms in there, things that you can find, secrets. You, there's different ways you can do it. For example, you can just go up the stairs to the next floor or you can get into like the air ducts and climb up that way. You get a weapon called the glue gun. It's G-L-O-O, although I can't remember what that stands for right off the top of my head. But it fires like these little foam, expanding, hardening foam ball things. And you can use those for traversal. You can create like a little ramp or like a some platforms to jump up. So you can use that to get around and access secret areas. Um, later on, you can get abilities that allow, some of them are movement-based abilities, like a little warp. So you can maybe warp to different areas. And there's not really anything that's telling you what to go or where to go and what to do. I mean, there's definitely like a main mission that you're doing. But if you want to, you can just explore and sort of figure out things that you can do on your own. For example, you can find uh, security desks that have lists of all of the people on the station. Um, And you can go track down dead bodies to look for clues for things or equipment. You can track down live people to save them. Um, which plays out a bit in the end, but doing so can get you bonuses and um, equipment and unlock other safe areas for you because it's like, we'll stay here and guard this area. So then you have a safe place you can return to. Once you clear out an area, 
No enemies will respawn in that area while you're there. But if you leave and then come back, um, there's a chance the enemies will respawn. And the longer you're gone, the greater that chance increases up until a certain point in the game. Um, there's kind of like a point where the switch flips and it's enemies. They won't respawn while you're in an area, but if you leave and then come back immediately, they've all respawned. Um, and that's just as the story progresses. So mechanically it encourages you to have, you know, a, a quite a few different play styles be sort of acceptable. So the route that I had went down was very combat focused, maybe not like the best sort of most optimal way to play the game, but being able to fight back made me feel a lot less scared, helped me feel a lot less scared. So I could play for longer and I wasn't quite as worried because I knew if I got into a situation where, you know, a whole bunch of aliens jumped out at me, I could fight them off. There's a pretty wide uh, variety of weapons as well. You start off with a wrench and then the glue gun you get really quickly. Yeah, which the wrench is another reason why it felt very Bioshock-esque. Yeah. Um, You can upgrade the wrench or upgrade your like strength, which makes the wrench more powerful. Yeah. Make it ratcheting, you know, get a couple extra <laughs> sockets, give it a vice, <laughs> um, make it a torque wrench, you know? Yeah. Um, and, but then you could use the glue gun in conjunction with the, the wrench to make melee attacks more powerful. So you could shoot an enemy with a glue gun and they, they freeze up and then you could smack them with the wrench and it would do more damage. Um, and then you can also, any object that you can pick up, you can throw as a weapon. And you start out with just sort of human strength, and you can pick up like small objects and throw them. And they don't really do much, but really quickly you can start to upgrade like psychic power throws. Then you can pick up really heavy objects like, you know, cabinets or desks or uh, big chunks of debris and throw those at aliens. And those do a lot of damage. Um, there's. Various ranged weapons, you get like a stun gun, which will knock out humanoid enemies, and then it does double damage against uh, computer, uh, sorry, against robotic enemies, which show up at various points in the game. Um, But uh, the reason I say it's non-lethal against humans is that there's a point later on in the game where some human guys come after you and you can choose to take them down non-lethally instead of killing them. Um, there's a few guns. There's a a machine gun, a pistol, a shotgun. There's like a laser cannon. Um, you get, uh, grenades. There's an EMP grenade. There's, I I forget exactly what it's called, but it's like, um, it's called like the recycle grenade or something like that. And you can throw it at, at anything, but you know, the intention is enemies and everything that's in its radius gets broken down into crafting materials. And it's a one. Yeah, don't recycle yourself. (laughs) <laughs> yeah did you read the note where the the scientist talks about how he accidentally recycled his leg oh no but i did see that when i was reading on the game afterwards that i realized i wasn't going to get very far in it yeah there's a note on one of the computers where this guy's like yeah the the grenades are really effective after we made the tweaks but i accidentally made the radius larger than expected and i recycled half of my leg so he wasn't very happy about that but, or maybe uh, it was a static and he gets to be a space pirate now. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> those grenades will kill almost any enemy in one hit. There are some like boss, some really powerful enemies and like this boss guy, like a stalker enemy that follows you around at a certain point in the game and you can kill him, but it does not, it, it needs more than one recycle grenade to kill him. Um, 
Yeah, you have to you have to both reuse and recycle him. Indeed, um, and, and reduce him. And then there's some other items you can get. Like there's a um, a basically a nerf crossbow that you can find, and it does zero damage, but you can use it to manipulate certain objects from afar. Yeah, um, I was uh, I was reading about that. That was the, that's the interesting one. You could use it to hit buttons, but also some of the things that explode whenever you touch them. You get it also triggers that. Yeah, there's some other fun ways you can do it too. Because if you're not sure whether an object is a mimic or not, if you shoot it with the the Nerf gun and it freaks out and runs away, then obviously it was a mimic. And sometimes you'll walk into a, a room and there will be like five or six mimics that crawl in and turn into objects and if you trigger one of them usually several several of them will trigger so you can stand you know in a doorway and shoot into the room to trigger them to come attack you instead of running in and getting hit on multiple sides so you can do things like that with it although once you get more powerful that's the mimics really aren't a problem anymore um once especially once you get some of the psionic powers that do damage like there's like a firebomb you can power you can get um and then there's some like sort of almost like force push type powers and things like that you know you can throw enemies and do damage that way so uh there are turrets you can pick up and move around and that's a really good early game strategy for fighting enemies Mm -hmm. is to pick up a turret and set it and deploy it where that you know some enemies are and then go trigger the enemies and then run away and they will chase you to the turret, and the turret will kill them. Um, some of the tougher enemies can take out the turrets, uh, but you know it, it will hurt them or or buy you time to do something else. Um, but like the mimics and the early level uh, sort of bigger humanoid, I don't know any of the names of any of these guys. Um, like the aliens are called the Typhon, but that's just the name for the entire alien race, not just the individual species. But the humanoid top aliens that have power, some of the tougher ones can kill the turrets, but the low-level guys usually can't. But uh, if you if you take on too many Typhon abilities, then the turrets will shoot at you. I don't yeah. know if you've ever noticed when you run past them, but they'll say, no Typhon material detected. Mm-hmm. You can have yeah, two, I noticed that. You can have two alien powers, and they won't kill you, but or won't attack you. But if you get a third alien power, then they will start attacking you. Yeah, yeah, which is uh, kind of interesting considering the story of the game. Yeah, so let's we let's go ahead and dive into that. Do you want to take a start with that one? Uh, yeah. So, how do we want to approach this? Because this is one of those games that actually doesn't start at the very beginning of the story. It uh, has a very odd opening whenever you really consider it. It almost feels Bastion-esque because of the presumed time loop at the at the very beginning, mm-hmm. where you wake up and you're told that you're going to go for a job interview to be able to go for uh, to uh, go to space with your brother uh, to join the corporation. Uh, the to, to go with him to help us research on Talos One, if I recall correctly. They're just wanting to have a little bit of a psychological test and you know check, test your abilities. So you get up, put your uh, uh your company suit on, you know, go rummage around in the fridge, steal all your stuff, right? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, go on a little bit of a helicopter ride. And there's this first hint that something's off in the cutscene. And the first time I saw that, you know, I thought it was just my computer glitching. Uh, and uh, whenever I pointed it out and you started looking for it, you saw it too, right? Yeah, no, I had actually already seen it, saw it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I saw that. And I wasn't, <laughs> I was going to ask you about it because I wasn't sure if the game had yeah. glitched or if that's part of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the game kind of just uh, flickers for a moment. So, you know, interesting, but, you know, uh, that, it's kind of. It, uh, there's kind of a commentary here of also with the way tri- uh, the triple A <laughs> development has gone these days that doing subtle things like this can almost be lost on a gamer that's a little bit more seasoned and uh, is kind of used to games being buggy as hell. Where yeah. you know, some of the you know you can't be this subtle anymore, which is kind of sad, huh? Yeah. But I'm on a side rant now. So uh, you head over to the building through a uh, uh, the credit sequence slash helicopter ride. And uh, did you actually notice that you're tapping your foot to the music? No, I didn't notice that. I, I thought that was so cool. I looked down and uh, saw my foot tapping. <laughs> and that's and this is one of those weird games that actually has, yeah, you're not just a floating camera. You actually have some interaction in the world. But anyway... You go through a short psychological test, and they, it feels like a tutorial, but at the same time, it's hinting at something more. Mm-hmm. Where you're told, okay, now uh, I want you to press this button as fast as you can, and the game pops up the tutorial of you know jumping over a, a, a you know chest high wall, or I want you to move all these boxes out of this area as fast as you can, and it's the tutorial to how to pick up and uh, throw things. But everybody's treating it as odd. Yeah, they're like, "What are you? What are you doing?" Mm-hmm. And it's like, "Did you just run over here?" And it, mm-hmm. and it, you're like, "Okay, what? A, that's interesting." So anyway, in the last section, they have the proper psychological test and a lot of really classic uh, 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 questions. You know, the uh, essentially the needs of the many versus the needs of the few. Right, the uh, rail, uh, the a runaway uh, rail car, and if you could flip the switch, or if you could push the fat man, or jump on the tracks yourself. Uh, what were some of the other ones? Um, I've got it pulled up here. So the first question: You're planning a vacation. Do you go somewhere familiar, you know, and love, or try something new? You've been sentenced to death for your actions. How does that make you feel? A runaway train is bearing down on five people who are tied to the track. You can cause the train to switch tracks, but there's one person tied to a second track. A runaway train is bearing down on five people. You're standing on a platform next to an enormously fat man. Pushing him onto the track would stop the train. What do you do? And a runaway train is bearing down on five people tied to the track. You could stop the train by jumping onto the track, but you would die. What would you do? And, and there was also, and there, then the ink blots, the Rorschach test. Yeah, which you go to look at it, and then that's when there's this like black monster, it, which is a mimic, but you don't know that at the time, like is one of the scientist coffee cups and it attacks him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're like, Oh my God, stop the simulation. And they like gas you and you pass out and you wake up again and you're in your bed again in your apartment. Yeah. Only things are different now. 
Yeah. You can, you know, like you said, you can go around your apartment, you can get in the fridge and everything. And a lot of the items are in the same place Mm -hmm. um, or maybe all of the items. But whenever you go to check your computer, like before there were some emails that were like, hey, you know, happy to have you on board. Like, don't forget your test or whatever. But now they all say something like get out or run away or something like that. You have to escape. I think it was. So you open the door and you go out into the hallway like you did the first time. And there was like a technician who was working on something there and she's dead. And you can mm-hmm. pick up her wrench and you can kind of explore around a little bit. But nothing works if you try to go down the hallway and get in the elevator. So you go back to your room and you use the wrench to smash the glass. And, you know, surprise, surprise, you're in a test chamber in, you know. A- and aperture signs. Oh, wait, wrong game. Basically, though, I mean, that's... Yeah, yeah it yeah. does have a... Yeah, the opening sequence has a very aperture science feel to it, doesn't it? Yeah. So then you wander through the same area, um, but this time, instead of it being what you saw before, it's like all of it was a test. Um, and there was some stuff that was like, you know, the helicopter was like, just like, almost like a... One of those little... A like, flight simulator. Rides. Yeah, like a flight sim. And there's all of these little... Um, what are they called in the game? They're, I mean, they're like TV screen or magic glass. Is that uh, what it's called? Uh, some sort of holographic thing going on, but, but yeah, uh, it's like, yeah, it's like what I thought was cool. Yeah. Well, what I thought was cool was how they handled the different, uh, whenever you get to the actual headquarters, you land on the roof and you go inside and then get an elevator and then you get off uh, on this floor. But, if you go to that uh, area in this uh, kind of sequence break or this behind the scenes thing, you'd see that it was really just a person pressing a button and a, a couple walls slide and the, the sign opens up. Yeah. Uh, and I, I thought it was a really cool, uh, even though, you know, it, it, you know, wouldn't you feel the elevator not moving, but you know, that's beside the point, right? Well, I mean, you could just maybe like shake it a little bit and most mm-hmm. people would think they were moving. Um, but yeah, and then, um, you can go through the same three test area. Actually, you have to go through the same three test areas, I think, mm-hmm. but then you break the glass on the last one, or maybe you can do it on any of them. And you actually get into the room where that you saw the scientist get attacked. Oh, see, I did. I just went, uh, through the other doors. <laughs> oh, I smashed the glass. and so went through. Yeah. There was a door that you could just uh, go through. So I but, saw from the other side, but then, you know, then the game starts to open up a little bit. And um, you have to get out of that room. You fight your first couple of mimics. Um, oh, and this entire time you're being talked to by some random dude named January. So I was going to ask. So you, your character's name is Morgan Yu, but you can play as a male or a female. Since you said dude, I'm assuming you played yeah, male. I went, yeah, I went male. You probably went female. I played because, female. So, uh, because I figured you would uh, be female and it does change because yeah. uh, January is supposed to be you. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting. But, I mean, obviously you don't know that the first time you're, you know, when you're playing through if you haven't looked stuff up. So you go through and you, um, there's a couple of, you know, like I said, linear sections that are slowly opening up. You find some crafting materials. You can start discovering some of the backstory and lore of the station and the world. Um, You get the glue gun. You see the first humanoid enemy, although you don't have to fight him. and then you get to the actual, like, full open part, which is, like, the mm-hmm. uh, observation the, uh, lo- Yeah, yeah, the, uh, the lobby observation deck, where you're kind of uh, 
turn loose in this one wing. Yeah. Essentially, your first objective is to get to your office, um, like your actual office on the station, um, which is... Yeah, which I also spent some time exploring here, just uh, you know, getting a feel for things. Yeah, I did too. Um, but so from there, sort of the general sequence of events um, following the story is you have to get to your office, which involves a few small sort of quests to get the whatever you need to to basically get past the lockdown because there's various locked doors and obstacles in the way that you need to get uh, powers and abilities for or not powers and abilities but you know that you just need to go through and figure out how to solve those sort of puzzles you get to your office you watch a video that you yourself have recorded yeah which is kind of funny because every time we say you yourself uh, we could be making this a pun as well because remember you're your morgan you yeah so you're watching the video that you yourself have recorded and it explains what has been going on, which is they've, you've been on the station for years, several years now. And the way that these neuromods work, which is what the things are called that give you your powers is that they, yeah, will yeah the you, thing. Yeah. They will grant you the memory and the experience of anyone who they were sort of extracted from and created based on. But if you have them removed, you lose every memory and experience back to the point where the neuromods were first inserted. So you agreed to do this experiment. And so every time they reset you, it's back to before all of these neuromods that they were testing on you have been put in. And so that's why the whole scenario is set up that you go through thinking it's the same day every time you do the test. So on one of the tests, basically you escape, you Set You're up. given uh, blank bonds, essentially, so whatever they remove them, it, yep, you become the king of Groundhog's Day. Yeah. Um, and then you create January Jones and set this up for yourself, and you're like, something's going on, I'm going to get caught, but January is going to help me deal with this when shit goes sideways. And, you know, I'm super paraphrasing, but basically that's how it goes. Um, and then you're contacted by your brother, Alex, Um, And he tells you that he will tell you everything. Um, You just have to find him and uh, he'll, you know, he'll tell you everything. He won't lie to you and help you solve the situation because he knows how to fix it. Because you're thinking, I can't remember if it's at this point or if it's a little bit later where that they're like, the only way to deal with this issue with this thing is to blow up the station. And he's like, no, don't do that. We can, we can fix it by not blowing up the station. So from there, you're going on essentially a quest to save as many people on the station as you can. That I mean, okay, so that's not explicitly told to you, but that's what my quest was, to save as many people on the station as I could and uh, list, you know, have January help me get through the situation um, and escape off of the station. Um, and that, that takes you to various different areas of the space station, um, which results into you coming into more and more contact with Alex as he explains what's going on. You learn the history of neuromods and how they're created. Basically, they kill people and harvest their brain matter to create these neuromods. So it initially started out as a volunteer program, people who had uh, cancer or other uh, incurable diseases who were things like pianists or race car drivers or dancers or whatever would donate their memories to this project. But eventually they started taking people under false pretense and harvesting their experiences or, you know, essentially seeding experiences in people and then 
killing them and harvesting their experiences. Um, but Alex tells you that, you know, we can do this without all of this. Like we're just in this process of figuring it out right now. And the Typhon have been kind of seeping in, but we know how to get them out. And then you're given sort of two main objectives, either blow up the station or deploy. I can't remember what the, vi- the device is called, but a device that basically kills all uh, of some the sort Typhon. of wave. I was reading about it. Because this was past the point that, yeah, this was the past the point that I was able to play because, like I said, it was just giving me motion sickness. Yeah. So then the, it's the neurowave generator. So you're given. Uh, he tells you that you can use the neurowave generator to kill all of the Typhon, but it will preserve the project. Then um, the Typhon are continually going, growing stronger. They're killing people. They're turning essentially using them for biomatter to create more of themselves and multiply. They create a neural network and they start to grow smarter um, and they get bigger and nastier as you go along. Um, Then the company that you work for um, discovers what is happening or has happened on the station and they send basically a, a cleanup crew to kill all of the Typhon, kill everyone on the station, cleanse it, and save all the, the research data. And then you have to fight them. So that's where I said the uh, stun gun comes in handy. Um, because you can kill them, or you can not kill them. And then that matters at the end of the game, uh, or can matter, depending on your other choices. Um, yeah, I did a little bit more research after we talked about it, but we'll get there. Yeah, so then you go through with the kill team. Um and, you know, you play that out still basically going towards one of these two objectives, self-destructing the station or activating the neurowave generator. And uh, somewhere, you know, in the middle of all this, somewhere through there, I think, I believe it's after the kill team shows up and you take care of them. Uh, the Typhon manifests this giant creature that starts hunting you and you can kill it or you can run from it. And it's one of those things that kind of will pop up. Um, every so often and you have to either escape or kill it right then and there. And I don't like the idea of being hunted. And after a couple of encounters with that thing, I just was like, all right, I'm done. I can't play anymore. It's, it freaks me out too much. So if you killed it, it would, I don't know if it was different from killing it versus escaping from it, but if you killed it, it was on like a 20 or 30 minute timer. So you got a little while without it, but then it would come back and it would fight you again. And I mean, there's other things that are happening throughout. Like as you're making progress through the station, you get to areas of like where there's zero G or no atmosphere. You have to get special suit upgrades to interact with these things. Um, you might be trying to rescue people and some of that stuff winds up being on a timer or, you know, you can kill someone to make your progress easier or you can do the harder, higher road and, um, you know, try and save them even though it's more difficult people will ask you to do things for them, which you can't, you know, you can do, or you don't have to do, you know, they're kind of like optional side quests, but you know, someone is like, um, you know, I'm, I'm trapped. I'm, you know, stranded. I know you saved me, but you know, my most prized sentimental possessions are still in my, you know, room. Could you go get them? And it's like on the other side of the station that's been blown up and is in vacuum. And, you know, you can choose to do that or not. Um, so there, there's lots of little things that go into it. And I know I'm kind of blowing past all of this, but it's really hard to sit down and talk about it because it's so open 
but not in a bad way. It doesn't feel like you're wandering. Like you always have a purpose, but there's so much going on and uh, there's so, into and there's so much detail. That's the thing. Yeah. There's in the, the lobby, there's a sort of a historical um, exhibit that talks about the history of the station and there's like 10 or 15 minutes worth of reading there. And it's it, this is an alternate history world. JFK survives the assassination attempt. And then he the, he and the Soviets, or no, it's, the, it's the Soviets discover the Typhon. And they contact the U.S. because they're freaked the fuck out. And they create this joint space agency to research the Typhon. And that's where the space station initially came from. So, you know, reading that and going through that, as you go through different areas of the station, some of them are a lot older. And so you get these huge differences in technology and architecture and things like that. That's all part of this world building experience. And the deeper you go into the bowels of the station, the the closer you get to the older Typhon, which are the bigger, scarier ones that have had longer time to develop their psychic energy and also harvest uh, unlucky organisms who have gotten in their way. So the deeper you go, the scarier it gets. Um, there's so much here. The wiki is huge. But so you said that you had had done some research. Do you want to let me take a minute to drink some tea? You talk about something you want to talk uh, about. Well, it's mostly towards the ending. I looked into a little bit more uh, in the actual triggers of it because uh, it's not as simplistic as it sounded before whenever we talked about it. Mm-hmm. Basically. Uh, you have to actually really try to get the bad ending. Or I should say the really bad ending because there's three main endings with a secondary alternate ending. Because early on, there's an opportunity to just say, fuck it, I'm out, and ditch. Through an escape uh, pod. And this is considered an alternate ending and not really canon. Just, yeah, you nup the hell out. And that's actually the objective that December gives you, a secondary construct that you eventually uh, make contact with. Mm-hmm. But that's not considered the main story. The main story is either blowing up the station or setting off this wave. And uh, do we actually want to talk about what actually is going on first? We should. So pretty early on in the game, I got the idea that this was some kind of a simulation for some reason. Yeah, the, I, um, I was going more of the Bioshock uh, method and was looking for the would you kindly. Right. So the personality test that you're given mirrors the main events of the game. Um, yeah, and I didn't get far enough to do that or to see that yet. The the most clear one being the runaway train is bearing down um, on people. Like, that's the most clear one. Um, planning to go on vacation, going somewhere familiar you know or love. I could, I don't, I'm not sure if that one was more metaphorical or if there's something that's directly related to that. Um, you know, the only thing I could think of was like going somewhere familiar is like you focus your neuromods on improving your human abilities or trying something new. The neuromods that have to deal with the Typhon powers. Um, being sentenced to death for your actions, how does this make you feel? Has to deal with uh, when the kill team comes on board the ship because they basically say you have to die. Um, you know, they, everyone's got to die. They've got to clear out the whole station. Um, because what happens is the reason they find out is that January tells them. Um, so that's your act. You know, 
you've been sensitive for your actions. How does that make you feel? And then the runaway train scenarios relate more towards the end. So trains bring down five people on the track. You can use the train to switch tracks, but uh, there's one person tied to the second track. So um, I think there's a, there's a, a scenario with some people in a, um, they're in like a, uh, a, a place that the atmosphere has been vented after the station has been destroyed. And it's like, you can try and save one person um, and they're easy to save, or you can do the hard thing, which kills the one person, but you save more people. And then the two questions about a train bearing down on five people, you're standing on the platform next to an enormously fat man pushing onto the track would stop. <laughs> the train. I think what that refers to is if you choose the blow up the station upgrade because it you know it gives you three choices and it's uh do nothing um what is it do nothing switch the tracks or push the fat man onto the train tracks Mm -hmm. so if you switch the tracks i think that has to do with the neural wave generator which kills all the typhon so you're killing that one entity but you're saving all of the people and then pushing the fat man on the tracks is you um like you have to kill Alex, because he won't, he refuses to leave the station. Um, at least, so I, I looked into some of the ending stuff too. He refuses to leave the station, so you have to, um, you know, kill him or knock him out to activate the self destruct sequence. Yeah, and he is an extremely fat man. He is extremely fat. He's way fatter than me. Yeah, I mean, he he's fatter than me. And the thing is, uh, he's so fat that you know it makes you wonder. Boy, they spent a lot of money getting him into space. <laughs> Um, and then the last one, a runaway train is bearing down on five people tied to the tracks. You could stop the train by jumping onto the tracks, but you would die. And your choices are jump on the tracks, do nothing, or push the fat man, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And if you have a bunch of neuromods installed, a bunch of Typhon neuromods, they tell you at the end of the game that you have too much Typhon material in you. It would be dangerous for you to leave the station to, to escape. Um, so you have to basically kill yourself or not actually end the game. Um, yeah, which uh, the hint, uh, which the hint is, you know, the uh, turrets, you know, starting to turn on you. you know, yeah, you're starting to go too far uh, into uh, alien territory. Yeah, so, so there's a reason for this. But I made those connections pretty early, and between that and seeing the glitch, and there's a few other areas where things will happen in the game, and you will hear voices, and it it, it turns out it's Alex and the five, the four or five, like. AI companions that he has as they're running these tests on you. And there's times that where it kind of breaks through and they can hear, you can hear them saying things and it's like, you know, do we need to use more sedative? It's like, no, we can't do that. It could wreck or wreck the the results or something like that. And you don't really have any context for this. I watched a couple of YouTube videos and it's like, you have sort of flashes of, you know, air quotes, consciousness as you get closer to the end of the game and things are getting more intense there's another voice that breaks through, which it turns out is the Typhon consciousness talking to you, um, which is telling you to do things like kill everybody and, uh, you know, wipe out the station and um, destroy all of them and things like that. Um, so it's kind of telling you to do sort of bad things. And then the game ends, you know, you make your decisions and the game ends and, you know, you sort of make these choices. And then there's a post credits sequence which is where, yes, it was a simulation all along. And what you are is that you are a Typhon organism, and it's it's actually in the future, not the present. The Earth has been pretty much overrun by Typhon. Um, and you are an experiment 
to try and create uh, a Typhon that has human emotion and empathy. Um, and this whole thing has been you rerunning Morgan, the actual Morgan used memories over and over again from the incident on the station um, and then seeing what choices you make. And if you make, essentially, if you make lots of, you know, good choices, you know, you, you choose to save humans, uh, you're not cruel, you do kind things, um, you destroy, you use the Neuromod or the Neurowave generator to wipe out the Typhon, but preserve human research. You know, you do a bunch of those things and it piles up and they say, oh, you're, you're good. We can give them a chance. They seem to, you know, this is going to be the best shot that we have. And then if you do a lot of bad stuff, like killing people, or if you flee the station early, actually, if you flee the station early, it just says he's not the one, or this isn't the one or something like that, you know, reset mm-hmm. the simulation. Um, but, you know, if you choose to do that later, like you can leave everyone to die, you can still self-destruct the station and leave everyone to die. And so that counts as it being a bad ending. Um, and they, they just kill you there. But if you have done well enough that they decide to let you out of the chair, then you get one final choice and you can choose to either sort of shake hands and join with humanity or kill everyone in the room, which is Alex and his AI drone guys. And I assume if you do that, that means you have doomed humanity to destruction. Yeah, because that's pretty open-ended as well, huh? Yeah. But uh, what's kind of interesting is basically they're trying to make this hybrid to try to broker peace because... You know, Earth is pretty fucked up. It's pretty much gone. Yeah. Uh, but it also makes you wonder what actually happened on the station because it, you're replaying Morgan used memories. So this is at least partly based on real, uh, you know, sarcasm quotes, events in the game's uh, lore. So what actually happened? Yeah. What did they do? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if if it says anywhere. I haven't actually browsed the wiki to see if there is like, this is what actually happened or what. But I mean, I I called that fairly early. There's like I said, there's a lot of symbolism in the game. Mm -hmm. If you, and and I might just have a complete leg up being uh, a psychologist and like thinking about this stuff all the time. And it's like, you put a test like that in front of me and I'm gonna spend the entire game looking for it. Cause you know, that's pretty significant thing to do. But also, I mean, I have been able to call things like this previously. Like I've said, I study stories. I study film. Um, I study the idea of, uh, idea of ludonarrative. So I'm always looking for stuff like this. So I was like, I was, I was so giddy. Because I told you, I was like, when we yeah. were talking about it, and you were like, I'm not, you know, we're probably not going to get to play anymore. And I was like, here's where I think the game is going. And then you looked up the ending and I was like 99% correct with what I said. And I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. I felt so, so smart. Felt so good. Yeah. Yeah. And I just didn't get to play enough to really even try to make a call of it. So, but well, yeah. uh, which honestly, any of the, you know, little, you know, glitch things that would, uh, uh, hinted at it, you know, I would have probably just chalked up to, oh, my computer's doing weird shit. Which yeah. Yeah, is w- what they are meant to be at first, but yeah. Yeah. And I, it looks like there's still a debate on which of the endings is considered the canon. Uh, you know, or you know, not just that final decision, but also the fact that you know, if the if the station got destroyed or if the, the 
generator went off. I mean, I would think I would lead towards the uh, the NeuroWave generator because you know they had enough research to be able to do this, right? Yeah, I, I would think that the NeuroWave generator is the cannon because they are also in space. And I mean, sure, there's the potential for there being other space stations, but everything that I found Talos two sort of, electric you know, boogaloo. Everything that I found kind of lore-wise made it seem like the Talos station was the space station and that all of these other countries were trying to play catch-up with their own space elevators and to develop mm-hmm. their own stuff, but they didn't have anything yet. You know, I, I mean, I, I could have missed something. I could have misread something. But I got the impression that the Talos station was like the premier space station and that it would make sense if you use the NeuroWave generator to wipe it out and then it's like, oh, we, we got all the Typhon material. Everything's peachy but then some of it still got to earth somehow or continued experimentation resulted in another incident somewhere, maybe on the planet. And then, you know, shit went sideways, but they're fine up in the space station. And so they go through and, you know, work on this experimentation process. But I mean, that makes the most sense to me. Although the DLC afterwards establishes that there's a moon base um, and some stuff over there. So maybe they're on the moon. I don't know know if it tells anywhere. Which, I mean, I, I didn't play any of the DLC. I just read about it. Yeah, not obviously didn't play the DLC because I didn't get far enough to access it. Also, I think the Game Pass only has the base game, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. So? Because it's uh, pretty much usually the base game. Yeah. Not that that's such a bad thing. I mean, it's yeah, enough to you know, jump in and play some of it. And overall, I really like the atmosphere of the game. It's just I'm a little disappointed I did get to play more of it because you know motion sickness. Yeah. Even though I'm not sure how much I would have been played, yeah, would have played of it because you know, uh, super spooky game, right? Yeah. Although out of the two of us, I hate spooky games more than you do. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I think it's kind of a tie. It just depends on the mood I'm in. Right. Okay. I mean, I I have hugely mixed feelings about the game, but it's not because the game is bad. It comes all from my sort of internal dislike of scary games. But I mean, this is serious contender for Game Club Game of the Year for me. Maybe even Game of the Year material for me when we do our award show. Mm -hmm. It was so fucking good. It's so rare. Yeah, by the way, it's your year to wear the dress. Sweet. It's so rare... I don't even know why we take turns. I'd wear it every year. It's so rare these days to find a AAA big budget game that actually gives a shit about stuff like this anymore and doesn't just dump everything full of microtransactions and DLC bullshit. Well, to be fair, this game is a couple years old. I mean, this is still an issue, though, in 2017. Like, this was still a problem in 2017. And the game has got places where they could totally abuse it. It's got a crafting system, which we kind of mentioned, like, briefly when we were talking about the recycle grenade. But, you know, you can get crafting materials for things. You can break stuff down into into components and then build what you need. You know, med kits, weapons, ammo. Um, Eventually, you can build neuromods. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of stuff that you can craft, and that is rife for microtransaction and loot boxes. I mean, we saw it before in uh, the third Dead Space game. Yeah, but it's, and it and it completely uh, killed the tone of it. So I think, well, remember, this is Bethesda published, not a Bethesda game. Yeah, and those are two very different things, especially these days. Yeah, but I mean, the fact that this is a AAA title that is deep and interesting. 
and has a lot to say. Uh, you know, it, it's it's got a story to tell. It's got a metaphor that it wants to use. It, I don't feel like it gets preachy or beats you over the head with it. And it doesn't ruin the experience with microtransactions and loot boxes. And that's so rare in a AAA game these days. I hate it. I hate that it's that rare because this is a good fucking game. I just hate that it's so scary. <laughs> I don't like scared so i didn't want to play it but not because it was bad just because i didn't want to be scared you just need me to sit there and hold your hand while you play don't you that would have helped if i had it's, someone to it's hold okay my hand. it's okay jared it's okay i played this game in broad daylight and or with the lights on um i i i, I played it a lot um for an hour or so every night for a couple well not every night but every night i could for like two weeks and then last weekend, I was home alone from Friday evening through Sunday evening. And so, um, like, all day Saturday and all day Sunday during during the daytime, I would open the window in my office or open the curtains in my office and turn on the lights and open all the doors. And, and then you'd just... look down and notice that there's a... Wait a minute. I only had one coffee mug in here. <laughs> oh, fuck. I have <laughs> nightmares now. <laughs> I have two coffee mugs in here. Ah. I actually do have two coffee mugs, but one of them is from yesterday, and I just left it. And, and then you tonight. and then you turn around, and there's another one there. <laughs> no, it might be worth it if they've got like therapy or psychological puns on them. <laughs> you can kill me and suck my essence. Just give me lots of these little novelty mugs. But um, you know, I don't. I don't know. I don't have anything else to say about it. I don't think I loved this game from a gameplay perspective, from everything that it was, except for the fact that it was scary. But which was like, kind of the point of uh, yeah, playing it in October. Yeah, I mean that's the point of the game. I can't knock points off of it for doing what it's supposed to do. It scared the shit out of me. I mean, it, it's right there on the ten. You know, it's meant uh, to be a super spooky game. It has a really good atmosphere. Uh, I like the fact that uh, they put so much detail into the game. As a matter of fact, uh, as I was reading into some more of it, uh, some of the little details, like depending on the gender of your character, the toilet seat in your apartment in the beginning of the game will be up or down. <laughs> Obviously, I didn't. I didn't notice that at all. If my toilet I, seat I did, was up or down, uh, it was down on. Uh, or sorry, it was up for my character. I mean, it would make sense if it was down for mine, since I played the female, but. But I just, I, I just thought it was uh, amusing. Uh, mm-hmm. The fact that your, your character actually has a presence in the world—you can see the uh, shadow properly. Uh, you uh, have proper uh, interactions with uh, physics objects. You have—you're not just a floating uh, camera like in ninety-nine percent of uh, first-person games these days. Uh, yeah. they, they spent a lot of time with. It feels like they spent a lot of time with the original Bioshock, where they worked on all the interactions of the different weapons and powers. Even though I didn't get to go too much down the power route, I was able to look at them at least. Yeah, uh, where they uh, spent a lot of time on the exploration and have a lot of little hidden things. Like, you were able to get the stun gun pretty damn early uh, if you were a little bit creative with the glue gun. Mm-hmm. Which I uh, 
Uh, well, after you mentioned it, and I was going through that area, I thought, huh, is this the area Jared mentioned? And I found the stun gun pretty early. And I also, after I got to the observation deck, I started looking around and I found a few, uh, like, hidden troves of weapons. But, you know, I found a few things there. But, you know, just having all the little collectibles and all the random things, uh, you know, it felt a like a very complete, a very lovingly crafted game, which, like you said, is rare these days. It's too rare these days. Yeah. So it's nice to actually, you know, find something like this that isn't, you know, just feels exploitative whenever I open it up. Unless it, you mean exploiting my fear of, you know, random coffee bugs. <laughs> so would so, you. Oh, sorry. I, 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 I would, well, I was about to say uh, it's just a very well crafted game. But yeah, for your question would i recommend it if someone likes uh, a more psychological horror or with a bit of survival in it we didn't even talk about the hardcore mode where you know they start adding in you know different uh uh, mo- uh modifiers to the gameplay where you could get uh, traumas to you where your suit could leak from taking damage too much or or anything like that uh, yeah, there's actually I even... there, yeah I, w- I was playing through on easy mode just to I was try to get some of the story. Well, I was just trying to get the story more than anything. But, you know, obviously didn't get too far on that. But, yeah. and they also had it where it severely cuts the uh, amount of stuff and you would have to actually have a more survival experience. So if someone likes horror and likes survival games, uh, oh yeah, I would say this is a definite recommendation. And uh, likes exploration as well. This is, a very, this is a very Metroidvania-style game. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, I would totally recommend this, but getting to the point where it's saying, like, yeah, I would recommend this, we have basically ruined the entire game, except for the True. actual gameplay experience. So it's weird. Like, yeah, I would totally recommend it. And if... Um, I would recommend it, uh, but it would be uh, like uh, some of the anime I've read, uh, recommended to you. It's go watch this, go play this, don't read a damn thing about it. Don't look into this at all. Especially if uh, someone has Game Pass so they're able to just download and play it. Yeah. But, <clears throat> alright. Fucking love Prey. So... Hey, hey, it's nice to finally get a good game, right? Yeah. I, a game we, you both agree is a good game. Yeah, we've had a few stinkers lately. Um, finally, of- some good fucking games. Speaking of other Game Club games, though, Rach, what is the next Game Club we're going to be doing for November? So, we are still in space, and we're going to be commanding some Celestials. (laughs) Not exactly. (laughs) They're not Celestial Uh, beings, but we are playing uh, Celestial Command. Hey, they do laugh, and that's all that counts, right? It does. It does. But then again, you are fucking easy at times. Uh, What am I talking about? You are always easy. So, aside from the fact that it's in space, Celestial Command is one of those hardcore sort of tonal shifts that we do sometimes, where we go from a, a hard, very story-driven game to a completely mechanics-driven game. Celestial Command is a game where that you are essentially gathering resources and crafting spaceship parts, 
and uh, building it's a spaceship. pretty much just a sandbox game as far as i could tell yeah um there's some stuff to it initially it was all about using realistic orbital mechanics uh for its gameplay but it's now got two modes so if you hear that and you think oh fuck i'm not interested in that it's got a mode called aerodynamics mode which plays more like uh space is a flat plane with an ocean um so you don't have to worry about orbits and gravity wells and things like that um so i think or the only person that is a regular in the community that has it is kyle uh but there are some other people who we know or have played games with before that have it um there's currently a sale on when does the sale end Probably uh, before this releases. No, at our luck. How long does Steam sale go for? Through November 1st, which is Friday. Well, fuck. 10 a.m. Pacific Standard. That's 1 o'clock. That, that, so pretty much, if you're listening to this the second it releases, you could go buy it and you have like five minutes remaining. Yeah. Is Celestial Command on sale right now? It is. It's twenty percent off at fifteen ninety nine. Um, it does have co op, um, online multiplayer co op. Yeah, which so, we'll check out at least. Yeah, at least the two of us are going to check that out. But yeah, Celestial Command. Yeah, uh, uh, just completely changing things, huh? Indeed. But hey, uh, at least it won't uh, scare the pants off us. Because you don't wear pants. <laughs> I'm already not wearing any pants at all. So, next up on the docket for today, uh, we're going to talk about some more Fallout 76 shenanigans. Yeah, because they did something pretty much as soon as we record the episode. So, last week we talked about them reneging on their promise that microtransactions will be cosmetic only, uh, even though, let's be honest, they've broken that several times already. They've just, you know, set, officially uh, removed that from their promises. And we kind of went back and forth, I think, a, a bit, talking about them, you know, just releasing, you know, buying power, what exactly they would do. And it turns out we didn't even have to wait 24 hours for uh, the fuckery to start to happen, huh? Nope. It so, happened right yeah. away. Yeah. Oh, Bethesda, you idiots. So they announced the Fallout First program, which I did not actually link the actual announcement, but we do have the parody announcement. <laughs> yes, we do. Where they have re- released the fact that I'm trying to grab the thing. Okay, there we go. Where they have released a subscription-based service for Fallout 76. Now you think, yeah, that's not so bad in theory. But damn, it's 13 bucks a month or $100 a year. Mm-hmm. What? All right. Am, am I the only one that thinks they're, you know, they're, they've been smoking something? Yeah. So here's what you get for that membership. Private worlds, 
which we'll talk a little bit about later because let's be honest here. This is Bethesda. So anybody that's been following us should expect at least two of these features to not work correctly. Yeah, so it's Private Worlds, which is basically what it says it is or is supposed to be. The Scrap (laughs) Box, um, which gives Um, you unlimited storage for crafting opponents in your Scrap Box container. A Survival Tent, which is a quick, placeable, fast travel point that has got uh, a stash uh, that you can access, like an Anywhere stash, a sleeping bag, and then some other stuff that you need. Crafting um, stuff, basically. Yeah, crafting stuff. You get 1,650 atoms per month to use in the atom yeah, shop. A very yeah. odd number, I might add. Yeah. You get the iconic Ranger armor, um, which uh, I think is most famous from uh, Fallout New Vegas. I don't know as most famous as in created in, as far as I know, only in Fallout New Vegas, as in uh, the Fallout game that Bethesda had really nothing to do with outside of the engine and punishing Obsidian for yeah, missing their objective on Metacritic. I thought the Ranger armor was in Fallout 4. Or maybe that was just a mod that I saw. Uh, it may have been a mod because, well, then again, I didn't play Fallout 4 because yeah, I was pretty much over Bethesda by Skyrim. Yeah, and then you get an icon and emote pack, which I don't know if you get to keep that if you stop being a Fallout First member. Or if you only have ac- have those icons and emotes while you are a Fallout First member, uh, I believe you get to keep them. But yeah, there's something else about that. <laughs> anyway, let's go down the list. Let's just use their own thing against them. So, private worlds turns out not private. Yep, they're not private. Anyone uh, that you are a friend with can join the game at any point in time. Yeah, and Which, it turns out there seems to be some sort of thing going on where people are functioning uh, as merchants or th- or middlemen. So people that have massive friend lists, they you know the private worlds are absolutely useless to them. Yeah. So, and I was also going to say, and there's no way to restrict it to completely private. It becomes sort of a friends only world. Um, that's supposed to be your own private world that you can invite people to, but anyone who's on your friends list can join. And if you're someone who is a merchant or does these like little trading things, then your friends list is going to be massive. But also, they're not your world because apparently yeah. they are random, at least recycled. Yeah, random recycled world states. <laughs> because people have been finding NPCs dead, uh, they found places uh, looted like crazy. But I'm not sure if anybody ever found any player structures. But that'd be hilarious. Yeah, but it's just what the hell. And also, they found that. Uh, if you join a private world, uh, now, now here's one you know, nicety about this, probably because Bethesda couldn't figure out how to do it this way, but, uh, the person that starts the world only has to be the Fallout first member, then anyone else could join. So you don't have to be a Fallout first member to join a private server, but anyone that stays on there, uh, uh, can keep it running, even if the Fallout's first members all leave, at least at the initial launch. So that's rather funny, huh? Well, that's interesting as a thing. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about it, but that's a thing. Um, but yeah, so there's there's that. Uh, then there's the yeah. So, uh, so 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 we have uh, well, let's just keep tally. There's six items. So so far, we're one for one broken. Yep. Then there's the scrap box, unlimited storage for crafting opponents in your own new scrap box container, 
which oh, permanently deletes stuff you put in it. Turns out the scrap box is hungry. Uh, there's been a thing going around where they, from what I understand, if you use somebody else's scrap box, it triggers a bug, but it also seems to be completely random that uh, it just eats scra- uh, the scrap. And yeah, there's been people talking about losing hundreds of hours of uh, worth of materials. And Bethesda's basically said, tough luck, we got your money. Uh, at least the last I heard. Yeah. And also something about payback for you know the great canvas st- shortage of two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the great camera. Yeah. Um, so then there's the survival tent. Okay. I haven't heard anything directly about this, but this is where the scrap box is. So we'll give the, this uh, a pass. But, uh, well, wait, wait, wait. I have heard people uh, saying that uh, this has been crashing them to desktop. So uh, we'll give that a half of one because, you know, it is a Bethesda game. So, hey, we're at uh, 0.5 out of three. Uh, uh, working correctly. Yep. Then there are the atoms, 1,650 atoms a month. Which, let's face it, the 1,650, that's uh, probably a a number generated just so that you'll always have some extra to try to goad you into buying more. Because they've also gone through, what was it, six months ago, and reduced the amount of atoms you got from in-game objectives and that sort of thing. Yep. And they redid it so that it's just crafting stuff and that sort of thing. So, you know, this is probably the only way to passively get atoms now. But hey, it actually works from what I've heard. So that's something in the not broken category, like 100%? Uh, well, uh, well uh, outside of, you know, you're getting, you're paying, to, you're paying, well, you're paying 13 bucks to get essentially. Just over 16 bucks worth of atoms. Okay. Then there's the ranger armor. Which honestly doesn't look all that great. And, you know, also, um, call me crazy here, but I looked into the lore. The rangers on the other side of the damn continent, and this is several hundred years before the rangers uh, were established. So, hey, Fallout uh, 76, throwing away the lore again. So, I'm going to call that broken. Okay. And then the icons and emotes back. Okay, well, this one. Oh, boy, this one. Well, first of all, you do not automatically get them. You have to go claim them from the shop. And if you don't claim them before you know, your month is up, if you, you know, just buy a single month, or if you're not actively uh, renewing your membership, you lose out. I think you actually keep them if you uh, cancel your membership, but you don't want to uh, keep them because there's been class warfare going on where people have been actively hunting the people that are subscribed to Fallout First, which is absolutely hilarious. It's become the Hunger Games. <laughs> so uh, I'll get that half a point because that has severely backfired. So, hey, we're at uh, two and a half out of six. Yes. Hey, that's actually pretty good for a Bethesda launch. <laughs> Two two point five out of six, slightly below average. <laughs> uh, once again, pretty much what I feel up about Bethesda these days. It's just what what the hell, right? 
Yeah. I mean, not only the whole idea of them launching a subscription service, which honestly, this feels like the last money grab before they release this as free to play, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, a lot of MMO-type games will do this. Yeah, but also... I mean, I mean, the subscription model for MMOs are actually is actually kind of obsolete these days. Only uh, World of Warcraft and Eve are the only big ones I could think of off the top of my head that still have the subscription model, and both of them have an option to, if you play enough and you know do enough in-game stuff, to earn a free month uh, through Plex or uh, whatever the World of Warcraft uh, equivalent is. Isn't it some kind of like special gold item? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Um, yeah. So, the only good thing to come out of all of this is that someone sniped falloutfirst.com and turned it into Fallout Fuck You First. Yeah, which, whoever this is, uh, uh, this uh, they had a interview, uh, Count Champy. Yeah, Count Champy, you are my officially my second favorite not person in the world now. Sorry, Jared. That's fine. So being third is still a podium finish, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, true. But yeah, I mean the, the snark is real here. So let's just read a little bit of falloutfirst.com. Private world scrap boxes and more coming, C U M M I N G to Fallout 76 with Fallout Fuck You First. Ever since Fallout 76 launched, we have constantly done nothing to improve and evolve the experience based on your shitty feedback. That's why we're excited to launch Fallout Fuck You First, premium ass-pounding membership that offers something dumbass players have been asking for since the launch of the game. Private worlds for you and select idiot friends. So we decided to put it behind a paywall. In addition to this huge feature, sarcasm quotes, Fallout Fuck You First, also includes a host of pointless items and, and cult bonuses, all of which you can find on my foreskin. <laughs> <laughs> and the best part, Fallout Fuck You First is available to scoot you right now. Uh, are we just going to read this entire thing? Because this is just comedy gold. Uh, it's decently long. Uh, I just like, uh, this shitty community has been begging for this ability to play alone in private worlds ever since launching the game. Oh, sorry, uh, ever since the law on Fallout 76, like what a Fallout game should be. And we begrudgingly announced that they are coming to a game with Fallout Fuck You First. If you're a Fallout fanatic, Fuck You First Slave, how uh, can you use the private word? It's completely up to you as long as we allow it. <laughs> oh, I mean, just. All right. <laughs> I highly encourage everybody to go read this because th- this is amazing. Yeah. I like that. My favorite thing is that they call it the sex tent <laughs> instead of the, uh, the survival tent. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite part of the whole thing because sex. Oh shit. Uh, and there's your vibrator. Let me go. That was my, Hey dummy, wake up. It's time to play Star Wars RPG alarm. I forgot to turn it off before we started. Uh, as with everything we do for Fallout 76, we continue to think of our, our bleeding bottom line first. Ignore your feedback and improve uh, the pay-to-win services over the months and years to come. So please, shut the fuck up and just take it. Your friends, sorry, I'm going to quote, at Bethesda. 
Yep. So Fallout 76 continuing to fuck you over. I just like that uh, people are so upset that they're actively hunting people that have the emotes in uh, <laughs> in the animations now. Uh, and it's kind of funny because Todd Howard actively sa- actually said that people would be friendly to one another in an online survival game. Now, either he's bought into his Kool-Aid a little too much, he's fucking delusional, or he's lying uh, through his ass. And honestly, I can't decide which one it is. Why not all of them? True. That Probably this is, is true. all of them. Uh, yeah. It, part of me, there's a cynical part of me, which honestly these days when it comes to gaming is a grown part. That Fallout 76, not just being a shameless cash grab uh, copy paste of Fallout 4, which honestly already seemed rather lackluster, but it honestly feels like a testing ground for a lot of monetization schemes for the next Elder Scrolls and Starfield. It honestly does. Probably. I don't know. Am I I the cynic here or am I the realist? I can't tell. Why not both? I mean, I, I do think that it is. I think they're just testing the waters to see what they can get away with for the next Elder Scrolls game. And I hate that, but... You know, and I hope it's not that, but... I'd say you're probably right. I don't want to be right. I, I'd much rather be wrong on this, but uh, it, it's tough to really look at this and can't and uh, not look at. Well, they've already announced Starfield and, and Elder Scrolls, which both of which are still years off, so they could build this these systems into them from the get go or have them cooked into the design documents. So. You could have the loot boxes. You could have all the... Well, I mean, hell, Skyrim already has the paid mods, remember? I'm honestly surprised. Oh, that's another thing, is that they said they pushed back the whole mod support to do this. And they pushed back... Remember that big story expansion they talked about last year? At, uh, at E3? Or, or this year, I should say. This last year's E3? They pushed all that back, but they still launched this. Yeah, I don't remember the ex- expansion they were talking about. Uh, remember the one that actually had human NPCs? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, basically basically introducing core elements to a Fallout game to Fallout 76 to make it a Fallout game. Only mm. with multiplayer, so, you know, uh, with random multiplayer, so you're going to have to deal with People sniping your uh, story NPCs. A little faith on this. I got to admit, a little faith. Yeah. Same. Uh, I, mean, I mean, Bethesda in uh, general, I should say. Because, yeah. All, all I ever wanted, I got to admit, all I ever wanted with multiplayer for Elder Scrolls, for Fallout, co-op. That's all I want. Yeah. Have Jared be dog meat. <laughs> I could handle that. I could be of, dog mate. Of course, he would uh, spend uh, all day sitting there licking his crotch. Well, that's what then, I do now. And, well, I was going to say, and then he actually doing in the game. Hi, ooh. All right. Uh, yeah. Fuck Fallout. Fuck Bethesda. Yeah. 
fuck you guys at at them. And fuck you first. Yeah. So, so uh, uh, well, I'll just have to ask since it seems like every single time your ex- uh, expectations and excitement for the next Elder Scrolls game goes down. So where is it right now on a scale from like one to a hundred? And where did it start? So it started pretty close to a hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably like a forty now. Uh, so that's a Game Pass game or Deep Sale uh, Game of the Year edition. Yeah, Def- definitely. And See, I would it's say just like a huge fucking surprise. But yeah, I would what? say mine was probably about sixty of uh, you know deep discount uh, base game, but I would say it's down to like twenty. Where extremely deep discount game of the year edition. Yeah. And that's you know, probably just before they re-release it uh, on you know, all the platforms again. Because of course they do, right? Yeah. Um, so, moving on to Community Corner for the evening. Um, yes, we, we actually have... had a tweet, which I actually didn't grab because I'm not used to that. So, oh, oh, crap. <laughs> Well, I thought I grabbed it, but I forgot about it. Sorry. Okay, we had Kyle actually waking up the bird. Uh, Turns out the bird was not dead. It was just resting. What do you think of difficulty as a marketing tactic to a game, i.e. Dark Souls, Prepare to Die Edition? Should companies focus on difficulty above anything else as a tactic to move uh, games? So, interesting question, uh, considering, you know, we just got done talking about, you know, the hardcore difficulty modes in Prey. Uh, I think it really depends on the game myself. What about you? Um, uh, yeah, I think so. I think it can be a selling point. The sort of, you know, super fucking difficult is more of a genre or a niche now than in the past when it was specifically a way to pad out games that were, you know, more technically limited. I do think it can be a good selling point. It can be a good marketing point. There's an audience out there for it and a culture that's kind of developed around it. Um, but yeah, yeah, it definitely varies on a game by game basis uh, for me. Cause there's, yeah, yeah. Same here where uh, if it's like a super hardcore, super difficult driving game, no, 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 no. Uh, yeah. pl- platformer, possibly. It depends on also what else they're doing in the platformer because I absolutely love Super Meat Boy and that is a very difficult uh, platformer. But they also built the game around that. It, they, uh, oh, I talked about how they cook. Or, or, I'm afraid of what Bethesda's cooking into the design documents of their next games. It's the same with a difficulty game where a game that is built around a person to have to try, 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 try again. It requires a little bit of a different nuance to the game than what a, a game that originally was a little bit easier, but they decided to buff up the difficulty for whatever reason. Uh, Super Beat Boy is a very good example of this, where there's not a long restart time. It, you're able to you know, die and restart again within two seconds. But also, a very nuanced thing is that the music in the game. Uh, and you may think, well, 
why is it so important to a difficult game? Well, the music of Super Meat Boy, it doesn't loop whenever you die. So you're not listening to the same five notes of the game uh, of the game soundtrack and drive you absolutely insane. But it's one of those small things that really adds to the feeling of the game where it's not adding to the frustration, it's enhancing the gameplay. So I think a difficult game can be a marketing point, but it needs to be built to be difficult from the start. It can't just be bumped up because you know, they thought it would you know, garner a better audience. Yeah. It, it, requires, it requires a lot more thought than just, oh, let's make uh, the uh, bosses a lot more tough. Or, you know, or you know, let's make everything one-shot kill. Yeah. It requires a lot more nuance, and it's not as fair to say, okay, this game is super hardcore, super tough, and paint that as the same... Uh, with the same marketing brush as Dark Souls. Because Dark Souls, even though I haven't played a lot of it, it has a very weighty, momentum-based combat. And it's built around this exploratory world that lends itself to the difficulty. So it's not just because it's difficult, it's designed to be difficult. So that's where it is. Not just tough games are good because they're tough. Tough games are designed to be tough and have the considerations for the players to not drive them fucking insane while being difficult. Yeah. I mean, I pretty much agree with that 100%. Um, A game, if difficulty is going to be a selling point for a game, I think that it needs to be designed from the ground up with that being a focus or a part of the focus Um, and making a game hard just for the sake of being hard is not the best way to go about doing it. Um, Yeah, there's a difference between Super Meat Boy and I Want to Be the Guy. I've played Super Meat Boy. I've never played I Want to Be the Guy. Uh, I Want to Be the Guy is basically almost parody of all the super hardcore uh, platformers, super difficult. Only, I want to be the guy is also highly unfair. So there's things like spikes will just shoot up out of the ground and they'll kill you. Gotcha. Or, or there's a couple places where you think you're in a cutscene, but you're not. Your character's just auto scrolling or whatever, and if you don't put a button input, it'll kill you. Gotcha. And it's meant to be as annoying as hell, and meant to be played over and over again for memorization. And that's where the difference is, is that while there are people that enjoy that, I don't. And it's just, you know, building for your audience as well. Building for a bit of a wider audience while being difficult. Building for, you know, the masochists out there. That sort of thing. Yeah. Um... I think the difficulty can also be used as a way to help uh, sell a game um, without the focus being, you know, this is extremely difficult um, because I've never played it. I'm drawing a blank on the name of the game, but there has been maybe more than one where there's a lot of customization to the difficulty. So it can be really hard or you can back it down and make it easier. Uh, How about about Surviving Mars as a good example? Yeah, 
Um, I mean, you can make that as difficult or as easy as you want it to be. And that can be a, a, a core part of the experience as for how sort of surviving it actually is. Um, I've seen it with a couple of platformers too that have some very fine control difficulty. Well, I was playing a little bit of Starlayers on uh, Game Pass, and that has a lot of uh, stuff that you could tweak to uh, really alter your gameplay. I'm not at the point where I could really be able to talk about it just yet, but there's a lot of options to go in and toy around with how your race is built, and that could vastly change how your game plays, but also the difficulty of it before you even touch to the AI difficulty settings. And that's the other thing is, you know, since we're talking about difficulty, we have to talk about AI, you know, their opponents. Are you just allowing them to cheat more or are you making them a lot smarter? That's the other thing, because if you're just making, you know, the game difficult by making the enemies bullet sponges, I mean, hey, uh, Borderlands is fun for uh, long enough, but yeah, eventually the bullet sponges get a little tiresome, you know? Yeah. You make them smarter or make them uh, you know, more crafty or give them new tricks to be able to do. Uh, let's pull one uh, almost at random Divinity Original Sin, where the hardest difficulty mode actually unlocks alternate abilities for uh, uh, certain bosses and certain enemies, but also adds in a lot more health as well. It adds in, uh, or I should say, it takes away some of the. Uh, more abundant resources and it makes it a lot more tactical than the base game was where yeah after a bit things started to steamroll so yeah that's the other thing is just how are you handling the difficulty not just you know are you making it tough how are you making it tough yeah i 100 percent agree so yeah i mean I think as a marketing standpoint, it really depends on how the game is being sold. You know, Are they selling it as the next Dark Souls game, or are they just selling it as, hey, here's this game that's going to piss you off and make you uninstall in five minutes? Yeah. So, game so I kind of took that one over. <laughs> yeah, but that's fine. My throat's a little bit sore, and I did most of the uh, prey yeah. talk. Yeah, so. sorry about that. No, you're good. It's good. So, as um, I sit here and drink a little bit of my fake sports drink, mm, delicious. Mm. Where can people send us stuff for Community Corner? Well, if you wish to contribute, just like Kyle did, you could do so by emailing us vglpodcast at gmail.com or sending us a tweet and waking up the, well, now dozing off bird, vglpodcast on the Twitter. And I do believe we have time for, to hit the music. What about you? Indeed. Let's doobly-doo over to a quick discovery queue. And as usual, I have one to start off with, mostly because I opened up mine before and found something kind of interesting. So I have Secret Neighbor. Or, and when I have, I'm in copy and pasting in the wrong section because, of course, I am. There we go. Secret Neighbor. This is published by Tiny Build. Uh, this is a, a pseudo sequel to Hello Neighbor, which also, also just recently released on Game Pass. Secret Neighbor is a multiplayer, multiplayer social horror game where a group of intruders try to rescue their friend from the neighbor's creepy basement. Only problem is, 
one of the intruders, intruders is a neighbor in disguise. So a little bit of uh, trouble on terrorist town mixed with a uh, survival horror element. I mean, it's a very interesting pro uh, concept. You don't see too much of this just yet. I think I think the whole idea of a, a, a of the secret base uh, pseudo co-op uh, multiplayer is starting to catch on, you know, secret Hitler style. Mm -hmm. But uh, we haven't seen it played out just yet. And it is rated mostly positive. I mean, I know Hello Neighbor had some problems, but it was mostly surrounding its AI. So, you know, putting it in player hands is a little bit more interesting. But it's also probably going to have a very small player base. I would say this is probably a very good land game. What about you? Assuming probably. you could keep all the uh, monitors secret, you know, or you know, secret from one, one another. Yeah, probably. Um. So, oh boy. Yeah, uh, EA has made their return. <laughs> yep, so I got Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. On the one hand... New Star Wars single-player game. On the other hand, EA still has the fucking license. So the jury's kind of out on this one as to how it's going to be. But, I mean, it's the next fucking Star Wars game. So, I, you know, when it popped up as my first game, I could not at least mention it. But, basically, I hope it's good. I don't expect it to be because EA sucks. So, I got an interesting one. Digimon Story Cyber Sleuth Complete Edition. Uh, a couple weeks ago, people were just going absolutely batshit about this game. I got a bit. I haven't followed Digimon at all. I have no idea just how good the games are. Uh, but it sounds like uh, a lot of people are really enthusiastic about this game. So it is a turn based single player JRPG. Uh, obviously, based around, around the uh, Digimon. Uh, universe uh, let's see with engaging uh, storylines classic turn-based battles and tons of digimon to collect digimon story cyber sleuth complete edition uh delivers everything fans loved about digimon store uh <laughs> i mean they, uh, the story the the game title is so long that it eats up about half of the uh, marketing blurb doesn't it yeah uh, it's uh, it's nice to see that it's a complete edition even though it, it looks like uh the cut content police is saying that there is a model swap uh, for a couple of uh, uh, the Digimon. Got to uh, make them less bullicious. So there you go. If you don't, uh, you know, if you want uh, a more sexy Digimon, well, you know, you're going to have to do a little bit of hackery. But there you go, right? Indeed. Um, so I got one Crossroads Inn. Crossroads Inn is a real time strategy. A real-time management sim set in an original fantasy world of Del Delcris. Build and manage your tavern, manage visiting adventurers, um, or make visiting adventurers happy, and make your services famous all over the land. This looked like a fairly standard sort of management type game to me, and then I saw nudity and sexual content in the tags, and I went, all right, you have my attention. I mean, this is interesting i mean i've talked about uh an in-based uh, uh game before and having some sort of management system uh, like this so yeah that's interesting yeah uh and yes the uh that is nudity <laughs> look at the screenshots 
Uh, it's very, uh, it's like Sims 2-esque. Yeah, which is fine. I don't really care too much about, you know. You, you just care how... that there's nudity, let alone, you know, how good a quality it is, right? Nudity builds community. Right. Uh, that's just your excuse, isn't it? That's one of them, yes. Uh, so, so I'm guessing you could, like, run a brothel? Question mark? Sounds good to me. Yeah, it does feel very Sims 2-ish, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, just, it does. Uh, just from uh, the uh, like the uh, graphical fidelity here. I mean, that's not a slap in the face for Sims 2, because you know, Sims 2 was actually a pretty good game overall. It's just interesting to see a uh, simulator uh, based around it. Since we don't really see a lot of uh, games that take on that sort of uh, 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 just how varied The Sims could be. I mean, we uh, The Sims kind of uh, own that own its own little genre these days. So yeah, uh, interesting. So I got Moons of Madness, hey, a first-person story-driven cosmic horror game where the scientific exploration of Mars meets the supernatural dread of Lovecraft. So, hey, if you want your Lovecraft in space, well, here you go, right? Actually, it's a very good-looking game. Scary as fuck-looking, but good, right? Yeah, although I'll pass on the scariness, for sure. For now. For now. (laughs) So, my next game, The Fisher Online. The Fisher Online. Yeah, I just got that on mine, so... So take it. <laughs> Forget about licenses and catch rates. Choose a bait or lures and catch fish in Europe and Russia. Um, so I'm guessing Russian-based game? Uh, it seems that way. I mean, it also appears to have, you know, full English everything. But uh, well, well, they are taking know, over you... the U.S., so, you know, got to have the English out there. That's true. I know you like your fishing game, so I saw this yeah. and I was like, yeah... Yeah, then it popped up on mine and thought, oh, damn. Oh, well. I mean, it's online, so I assume... Yeah, here we go. It says MMO down here. So I was going to say, I assume it's an MMO. I have no problem with playing fishing games. Oh, my God. The developer is Rage. It's Uh, R-Age. It has my name literally on it. Yeah. Now, the question is, uh, is it actually any good? But it looks like servers are having crashing issues... Uh, looks like it's a management, uh, it's a copy and paste of a Russian free to play uh, fishing game based on this one review. No proper key binds, so yeah. But I, I wonder if I can sue them. <laughs> so I got the beast inside. Hey, it's a spooky uh, week for me, it seems. The beast inside is a unique, gripping twist on thriller and survival horror. Immerse yourself in the story of long-buried secrets, personal tragedies, and madness. Play as two protagonists bound by dark heritage. Combat the enemies, solve riddles, and experience real terror in the 3D-scanned environment. I mean, it doesn't look bad, honestly. I mean, it uh, looks kind of spooky, of course, right? Uh, but then again, the gifts are yeah, kind of 
uh, yeah, meant to be uh, super spooky, but uh, uh, it seems like it's Spooktober for me, I guess. Seems that way. Uh, Besides, so my next... uh, oh, okay, go ahead. So my next one is called Legends of Keepers Prologue. So this looks like a, a demo slash, well, prologue to another game called Legends of Keepers. It doesn't have a release date yet, yet. Um, but you are a dungeon master and you are uh, setting up traps and monsters to defend uh, the dungeon and treasure of whoever hires you to protect their treasure. And I love stuff like that. So, I mean, it, it's free, so I'll probably check it out. The The actual game, Legends of Keepers, Career of a Dungeon Master, is not out yet. All it says is that wishlist it to get a notification of when uh, the game is releasing. So I assume it's a while away, but it definitely has piqued my interest. Well, I have something that'll pique your interest. Okay. We were here together. This is the third installment in the We Were Here series. Uh, we played the first one, and it was a free-to-play one. Remember that? Yeah. Well, this is the third one, just released pretty recently, uh, October 10th. Uh, I mean, it's a, a co-op first-person puzzle game. Uh, I think that's a uh, fair one to say. The first one was uh, one of the more interesting uh, co-op experiences I've had. Where you were out in this castle doing shit. And I was locked in this library with all the answers. And it was communication back and forth of trying to figure out what you were seeing. Because I couldn't see what you were seeing. We just had voice chat. And trying to get through all the puzzles together. So we were here too is also on sale right now for five bucks. I'm thinking we should get that. As part of the sale? Yeah, it's part of the sale. It's part of the sale right now. Okay. I just noticed it. We were here too. Yeah, it's four forty nine. So we'll be getting that and we'll be playing that together. Yeah, something to break up forts and anime nights, right? Yep. So I'm. I just finished my list. I didn't have any more that were worth mentioning. I had a two games that didn't have English Ooh. language, and then a couple of shitty anime booby puzzle games. And I just don't bring those up anymore. Well, I got an interesting one. I'm still going down my list. So this is one I've actually been playing on uh, Xbox Game Pass: <laughs> Lonely Mountains Downhill. Uh, I could talk a bit more about this uh, next week after I've spent a little bit more time with it. It's an interesting one. It's an isometric downhill racer where you are racing a BMX bike downhill and trying to complete different objectives. And as you complete different trails, you unlock more and more stuff. I've played it enough to really be able to, to uh, go into a games we played section with it just yet. Mm-hmm. But... There's some interesting things here. If you like a, a little bit of a more offbeat racer, where it's also a lot more momentum-based because you're racing downhill, so being able to find lines that aren't obvious or you know, be able to take an alternate pass is interesting to you, this is definitely worth a look. Uh, there's some times that the game tries to be clever with its camera and it doesn't quite handle it as well as you would hope. 
particularly it does some things with depth of field that I find irritating. But it's also a little bit of memorization, be able to know, yeah, okay, this particular trail, uh, I could cut across here and go uh, jump down and hit the next checkpoint in like 15 seconds sooner than I otherwise would be able to. So there's a bit of memorization like racing games typically have, but there's also a little bit more of a like a puzzle element that I really like. So yeah, I, I would say if you're interested in this, uh, pay a buck, pay five bucks, go play on Indie Game Pass or uh, or on Xbox Game Pass because right now it's twenty bucks. Sure, it's twenty worth twenty. So do you want to start another one? I mean, I still have three more on my list. With just three? No, if you're like I still have six, I'd probably start another one, but. You can go ahead and get through those three pretty quick, I'm sure. Okay, this is interesting. We're just seeing what this is. I just went ahead and purchased We Were Here too while you were talking. Okay, I'll grab that in a little bit. Because I have enough uh, in my wallet to just be able to grab it without having to about bouncing my uh, checkbook again. Huh, okay, so uh, Random Town Builder. Because I like my town builders. Autonauts. At first, I thought this was more automation, but it looks like it's built around uh, building a robot empire that can be taught anything. So, sort of a robot builder meets town builder. There are some interesting things going on. It looks like it has a. It looks like it's a fairly decent town builder based on some of the reviews, but it has some annoyances with its uh, UI, which yeah, is pretty much how these things usually go, at least early on, but this is not an early access title, so who knows if they'll continue to support it. But yeah, I do have a soft spot for my town builders. Oh, oh. And here's another one. Uh, Not another town builder, but another... This is is more like what I was expecting little uh, automots to be. Little Big Workshop. It's another one of the build a uh, factory games that's uh, been popping up more and more. But this looks like it's more than just automation and uh, you know build up this giant you know spaghetti you know factorio like game where it has a proper management game on top of it. Yeah, it looks like you already want this game, so you've seen it somewhere. Uh, manage your workers, stations, machines, and create awesome stuff in your little big workshop and grow into your dream factory. So, I essentially think, uh, trying to think of uh, Gunsmith was the last one that I really played in depth, but uh, meets a proper management game. So, that's actually kind of a nice uh, kind of middle ground between Factorio and like Rimworld, where it's all person-based and it's all machine-based you know yeah so yeah that is an interesting one looks like it's a few pretty bad uh reviews but yeah yeah it's worth a uh, uh, look at at least and let's see oh yo ow i had the audio on <laughs> uh my last one is a rhythm game oh what the hell uh uh Pretty much everything was on my from my list is on here or on my discovery queue, minus the two that you snuck from me. This is an interesting one. 
spin the uh, sorry, spin rhythm XD. It reminds me a bit of oh shoot, now I'm, what's the uh, what was the uh, shooter that was uh, pretty popular a couple uh, a couple years ago that was based around the, your, the music that you put into it. I have no idea. Uh, I'm blanking on it. Uh, there was a, a like a racing shooter that you had that uh, uh, was generating uh, from the MP3s that you put into it. This one, it looks like it's a mixture between that and uh, uh, Rocksmith or Guitar Hero, where you're spinning a, a roulette wheel to try to match the colors that's going on uh, to... Uh, sync up to the music that's playing. I'm not sure. It, let's see, 30 licensed tracks with 15 available at launch. It's an early access title, so more is going to be put in. From artists that have no idea who they are. So, you know, there's that, right? But it looks like there is the ability to create custom levels and backgrounds, so if there's enough of a community around this game, then it uh, will luckily see a little bit more legs than you otherwise would see. But yeah, I mean, if you like these sort of rhythm games where you're matching the colors and uh, uh, going down a track, it looks like an interesting, well, spin on it. Huh? Eh? 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 I see what you did there. <laughs> uh, sorry, I couldn't help myself. And that was the end of my cue. Uh, I mean, it was just the fact that they had an interesting mechanic that I wanted to throw that in. More than that, it's just a you know, random uh, rhythm game. Right. Well, then that brings us into the end ending portion of our show where I say, hey, Rage, hit him with the socials. Well, I've been Caffeine Rage. You can find me on YouTube, Game with Caffeine Rage. You can, and you can find me on the Twitter, Gaming with CR. Or you can be my friend on Steam. Uh, hey, how about that? Caffeine Rage there as well. And you've been gaming psychologist you can find me on the youtubes by searching for gaming psychologist on twitter at jma4707 and you can be my friend on steam jarthur4707 and if you were to know exactly what episode of the podcast you're coming from the password for this week is push the fat man <laughs> that's a good one push the fat man i, I couldn't help myself as you know, uh, whenever we were talking about that, it's like, oh, that that's perfect. We, I, uh, pretty much any of my other puns and, and anything else, no. Push the fat man. Yeah, no, that's perfect. Because that applies to both of us. <laughs> and if you wish to push something else, like our buttons, you could do so by emailing us, vglpodcast uh, at gmail.com with your letters, voicemails, game-related topics, or just tweet them to us, vglpodcast on the Twitter. And a special shout-out to our lovely, lovely patrons, patreon.com slash vglpodcast to learn more. And our lovely patrons have made our Podbean account possible. vglpodcast.podbean.com, which hosts the RSS feed, show notes, and links to all our stuff online, but you can find us on YouTube, or sorry, well, our, on our YouTubes, our iTunes, Google Play, or your podcatcher of choice. Our intro and outro music is on the ground by Kevin McLeod, and our Discovery Cube music is doobly doo by the same artist. You can find his work at incomputech.com, and as always, as his lovely music starts to roll across my voice, bye bye now. Bye.
See you next time. Bye-bye.